All right, if you'll stand with me as we open God's Word to the book of John, chapter 6. We're going to be reading verses 1 through 14. Pastor Bruce continues his series on money matters and stewardship principles for Christ followers. Again, this morning we're going to look at the book of John, chapter 6, verses 1 through 14. And if you're using a pew Bible in front of you, you can find this passage starting at the bottom of page 613. After these things, Jesus went over the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. Then a great multitude followed him, because they saw his signs which he performed on those who were deceased, or diseased. And Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat with his disciples. Now the Passover, a feast of the Jews, was near. Then Jesus lifted up his eyes, and seeing a great multitude coming toward him, he said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread that these may eat? But this he said to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, Two hundred denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them, that every one of them may have a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There's a lad here who has five barley loaves and two small fish, but what are they among so many? Then Jesus said, Make the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down, in number about five thousand. And Jesus took the loaves and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to the disciples, and the disciples to those sitting down, and likewise of the fish, as much as they wanted. So when they were filled, he said to the disciples, Now gather up the fragments that remain, so that nothing is lost. Therefore they gathered them up, filled twelve baskets with the fragments of the five barley loaves, which were left over by those who had eaten. Then those men, when they had seen the sign that Jesus did, said, This is truly the prophet who is to come into the world. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the promises that you make in your word, Lord, we thank you that you are the provider. Now this morning as Pastor Bruce brings this message, Lord, remind us that when, when life is demanding, God, that uh, you are the supplier. Lord, just change our hearts, change our perspective, and just prepare us uh, for this week in Christ's name, amen. Well, as Kirk mentioned, we are continuing in our series on stewardship that we're calling Money Matters. As children, we, I'm sure most of you are like myself, we couldn't wait to grow up. But as we grew, many of us might have discovered that adulthood isn't all it's cracked up to be. Adulting is not always easy. Adulting can be hard and difficult. In fact, the older we get, the more complicated our lives get and become. And that includes in the area of finances. While financial difficulties aren't new, it seems like money problems have become more complicated over the years. In fact, according to a blog at DaveRamsey.com, there are seven money problems that we didn't have 50 years ago. Well, that just brightens up your day, doesn't it? Let me read just a few of these money problems that we now experience today that we didn't used to experience 50 years ago. One was retirement money was guaranteed. In 1960, 41% of private sector workers were covered by pension plans, but the retirees living but with retirees living longer than ever and drawing a retirement benefits for 20 to 30 years, companies can no longer sustain the pension plan model. Now workers are in charge of saving for their golden years themselves. 
Uh, another money problem is health care didn't cost as much. Fifty years ago, health care spending was already high at $23.3 billion. Now it's absurd at an estimated $2.71 trillion in 2015, and it's growing. So what's the average family's cut of that? Well, according to the annual Milliman Medical Index, the typical cost of an employee-sponsored PPO plan for a family of four is $26,944. Just let that sink in for a moment. Uh, another money problem is credit cards weren't in our wallets. Credit cards officially came on the scene in 1950 with the introduction of the Diners Club. However, this buy now, pay later concept didn't explode until the late 70s. And so now the, American, the average American has 2.6 credit cards. And of those with credit card debt, the average outstanding balance is almost $17,000. And then here's just one more money problem, as if you're not depressed enough already. The cost of living was a lot lower 50 years ago than it is now. In 1967, the average home price was $22,200. Average home price in America in 1967. Amazing. Today, the medium home price in the United States is it's over $200,000. 203,400 to be exact. That's 816% increase over a 50-year period. In other words, things are just plain more expensive these days. Education, housing, food, transportation, and medical costs have all soared. And to that, we all say, isn't it wonderful they'll be alive today instead of 50 years ago? So what do you do? What do you do when you're facing money problems? What do you do when your need exceeds your income? What do you do when demand exceeds supply and your cry is not enough? Not enough. There's not enough money here. There's not enough funds to cover the needs. Well, this brings us here to the economic supply that we see in God's word. Notice this in your notes, when demand exceeds supply, when your cry is not enough at the end of the week or the month, then take notice of the economic principle of Jesus Christ here in John 6. Jesus taught about his economic principle while living here on this earth, but folks, let me warn you, this is not an economic principle that you will hear taught in most classrooms. The law of supply and demand is a rather simple law. It says, demand exceeds, when demand exceeds supply, prices rise. And when supply exceeds demand, then prices decline. Now, a great example of this law of supply and demand is the housing market. The value of your house today is more than it was three years ago. Why? Because of the law of supply and demand. The demand of houses for sale exceeds the supply of houses that people want to buy. So therefore, our, the value of our houses has risen. So what does all this economic stuff have to do with Jesus feeding thousands of people in John chapter 6? Well, that experience that we see in John chapter 6 is all about 
the law of supply and demand, except this economic law was not limited by the economics of man. Rather, it was unleashed by the economics of Jesus Christ. And Jesus' economic plan, listen, it's on a whole different level than the economics of man that we are familiar with. That afternoon, Jesus laid out his economic principles on a green, grassy hillside in Galilee. And this morning, man, I invite you to sit in on a supernatural demonstration of economics with Jesus as our teacher. And what we're going to learn is rather simple, but it is profound. And that is, without Christ, without Jesus, demand always exceeds supply. But with Christ, supply always exceeds demand. Hudson Taylor, the famous or the great missionary, put it this way, when God's work is done in God's way for God's glory, it will never lack God's supply. And that is the essence of what this Jesus teaches us here in John chapter 6. Now, this breaks down this economic principle into two simple points. Notice the first point here. Without Jesus, demand exceeds supply, and the cry is, not enough! Not enough! We discover here in John 6 that a need had developed on the hillside in Galilee. The demand was great. We read in verse 2 that thousands of people followed Jesus and his disciples to the mountainside. Why? Well, they saw the miracles that Jesus had performed on the sick, and they were curious as to who this man was. They're like, we got to go see this man. We have to hear him. His teaching was, it was, it was, he taught with authority. The miracles that he performed were nothing like any man had the people had seen in that day. And so there was a curiosity factor here. The multitudes, the crowds of people are following Jesus to see what's going on. The problem was the multitude of people were now far from home. It's getting late in the day, and there was no food. And to put it in economic terms, there was no supply of food to meet the demand of physical hunger. And spiritually, that is always the way it is without Jesus Christ in our lives. And the cry is not enough. Perhaps some of you this morning are sitting on that same hill in your own lives in a symbolic way. That is, you are in need because right now demand is exceeding the supply. And your own personal cry is not enough. When, whether your need is financial, whether it's relational, or even spiritual, understand if you try to meet your need apart from Jesus Christ, without Jesus Christ, there is never enough, and demand will always exceed supply. Now, the need of the multitude presented a rather huge challenge for the disciples that afternoon. Notice this. Notice the challenge for the disciples in your notes coming up on the screen. And that was to minister to the needs of this multitude of over 5,000 people by feeding them. That was the great challenge before the disciples. The multitude of people had a need. That is, they were hungry and there was no food. 
Their demand exceeded their supply. And their cry was not enough. Their physical hunger and their inability to satisfy that hunger is a picture of the spiritual needs of this world in which we live. In fact, in many ways, this challenge for the disciples in John chapter 6 is also a picture of the challenge for our church here at LifeBridge. Notice the correlation here in your notes. And that is to minister to the needs of people by funding our mission to bridge the gap with the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's the challenge we have here at LifeBridge. People in our community and around the world are hungry. They need to be fed with the only bread that will satisfy their spiritual hunger, and that is Jesus Christ. In fact, it's interesting, later on in John chapter 6, what does Jesus claim to be? He says, I am the bread of life. He himself, he who, who has me will never go hungry. You will be satisfied. And it's a spiritual analogy here that we see in John 6 that Jesus connects for us later on in the Gospel of John. Feeding people with the Gospel, or as the way we have kind of coined it here at LifeBridge, bridging the gap with the Gospel, it takes money. It takes funds. It takes money to support the mission of our church. It takes money to support the ministries of our church. It takes money for us to come together like we are here this morning and worship the Lord. Every time we open these doors, turn on the lights, turn up the heat in the winter, turn up the air conditioning in the summertime, it takes money to do that. You understand that because it's no different than your own house where you live. It takes money to discover God's Word in the Discovery Hour. It takes money to teach kids and students about Jesus in Awana and Trek. It takes money to take students to student camp. It takes money to host outreach events like the Easter extravaganza that will be coming up here soon at the end of March. It takes money to host an equipping event like the marriage event that's coming up the first weekend in March. It takes money to have a website. It takes money to host equipping events. Uh, like what we're doing here with perspectives on Monday nights. That doesn't come free of charge. It takes money to do that, to, to facilitate that. It takes money to pick up kids on the vans. It takes money to open the doors, as we already said. It takes money to have a world outreach celebration and to take the gospel around the world through our missionary partnerships. What am I trying to say? It takes money to fund the mission and ministries of our Church. And in addition to just the weekly operating needs of our church, to fund that, there are additional needs. In fact, uh, those of you that are members here at LifeBridge, you will be receiving a letter in the mail tomorrow or Tuesday, kind of outlining uh, some of the uh, capital expenditure needs that, that we have here at our church that we feel are needed uh, to us to spend to spend money on. I'll just give you one, a few of these things that, and I'll uh, share them with you. One is when you come into our parking lot. If you haven't noticed, it needs addressing. Uh, it needs to be, re needs to be repaired. Uh, there are places where it's cracked and it's crumbling, and so we, we need to repair it. We need to reseal it and then restripe it. That takes money to do that. In fact, one estimate we have uh, is around $12,000 to do that work. Not cheap. 
but it needs to be done. Uh, we have landscaping needs. Uh, so when you drive up, you notice that last summer, uh, there were some men and women of us that we, we just uprooted the, all the shrubbery outside in front of the two buildings, in front of the auditorium and the Student Life Center, just pulled it all up, it was overgrown, it was getting bad, nasty, whatever, and, and we have yet to address re-landscaping it, and that's a great need. Needs to be done. We need to, we need to make our facilities outside the appearance of it uh, welcoming. It needs to look like, hey, man, they care about what's going on here. That's going to take money to do a landscaping uh, work on that. We, I, you know, until we get an estimate, we're, we're guessing maybe around, you know, anywhere from three, five, eight thousand. Who knows how much? I, I don't have a clue until we get somebody in to actually give us an estimate on that. Uh, we have musical equipment needs. The biggest one is our soundboard. It's 22 years old. <laughs> it has served us well, but it's going out. And uh, in fact, just a couple of weeks ago, when Emmanuel was praying here, we lost another channel. And so anytime you hear glitches in the, with the praise team or, or sound, it's because of the soundboard. We have lost channels on it. It needs to be replaced, and not later, but sooner. And, uh, and so we have built that into the budget to, to, to act on it, and we already have, uh, you know, guys coming in to do that work, and it will be done here soon. Uh, you know, this video projector has served us well, but it's, it's old. Uh, it's, it's 10 to 15 years old. It was great at the time when we first got it, and is it still functioning? Yes, it's still functioning, but we need to update it just like most of you at your homes. You have flat screen televisions that are HD quality. And we need to upgrade our, our video projector here. Uh, our screen is a 4x3 format. We need to turn it into HD, widescreen format. And it's going to take money. The latest estimate we have is about $17,000 to do that. Let me go back to the musical equipment. The soundboard is $3,500. Uh, we also have a need on the, sound, on the music equipment for a keyboard synthesizer, also a keyboard um, a piano. And that together is another $3,500. All these needs we have. We have multimedia equipment needs. All of our classrooms uh, need to be updated with flat screen TVs mounted on the wall. Um, it doesn't, that, you know, it's not free. It costs money. Is it a pressing need? No. Does it need to happen tomorrow? No, but it's a need. We need to do all these things. Uh, in addition, our live student ministry, they need a, a nice, uh, school grade marker board down there so that when Zach and Mike teach man they you know they're utilizing it our Trek ministry utilizes that uh, it's not cheap those these are just simple needs it, capital expenditure needs are above and beyond our weekly operating normal stuff to do in throughout our year in the budget and so all I'm simply trying to let you know is that there are needs here. And if we're going to continue to fulfill our mission and provide ministries, it will continue to take money. Most of you understand that. Uh, the new budgets for our year, for our church, both the general budget and our missions budgets will be presented next Sunday night at Ignite, 5 o'clock. And I encourage you, especially if you're a member here at LifeBridge, to come and be a part of that down in our multi-purpose room. Uh, we'll give a report of last year's budgets and uh, a brief overview of where we landed in the year and, and then present the new budgets going forward. We'll also take time to pray. And so I encourage you to be a part of that. What's interesting is uh, every year I'm a part of our finance team 
And so I'm in on the budget process with our finance team, and we've been doing this now for 16 years with our finance team and putting budgets together. And uh, every year it, when we plan the budget, it, it almost always looks as if the demand of the mission and ministries of our church is going to exceed the supply of our income. When we look at the, last, the year before's income, we look where we need to be and what needs to happen for our supply, the funding of our mission and ministries, like this is not adding up. And it's like one is exceeding the other. And it almost always looks that way. And there's a part of me that wants to just cry out in our mission finance team, we don't have enough. There is not enough money here to fund our mission and ministries. But over the years, I've also learned that's only true to a point when we fail to factor Jesus into our budget. The temptation, and there's a tension here. There's a real tension in our finance team, and even when the, our leadership council approves the budgets, uh, the temptation to only look at the budgets through the eyes of a CPA, if you will, to just look at the numbers. And while we need to be frugal, we need to be wise stewards in the managing of that budget and, and not go crazy with it, there is the tension of seeing it through the CPA, but also, you know what? There is a supernatural economic principle involved in this. And that is the economic principle of Jesus Christ. And we dare not leave him out of the equation. That's the tension we always face. It's the tension we face as a church. It's the tension that you, as a Christ follower, face as well. In fact, there are a lot of times when we factor out Jesus then, the law of supply and demand seems like a problem that just can't be overcome. And there's kind of three reasons or three things that can cause this problem of demand exceeding supply. Notice this in your notes coming up on the screen. Number one, if we have no sense of planning in our lives. And this was exactly the case in John 6 with the multitudes following Jesus. There were over 5,000 men, women, and children who had no sense of proper planning. These people didn't think ahead and plan appropriately for their need of food. And consequently, they now had a demand for which there was no apparent supply. Fortunately, though, the problem turned out to be just another opportunity for Jesus to do a miracle. Do you realize that all miracles begin at the platform of our problems? It was no different on that hillside in Galilee, and it's no different in your personal life or our church. The heart cry of so many people today is not enough when they plan without Jesus Christ in their lives. So are you making plans with Jesus in your life? Remember, problems can become opportunities for Jesus to do a miracle. A second thing that can cause the problem of demand exceeding supply is if we have no sense of purpose in our stewardship. The disciples, Philip and Andrew, illustrate this fact best. Notice again what it says in verses 5 and 6. Then Jesus lifted up his eyes. And seeing a great multitude coming toward him, he said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread? that these may eat. But this he said to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Jesus tells us that he was testing Philip here when he asked him 
where they should buy bread to eat. But what exactly was Jesus testing? Well, Jesus was testing Philip's faith. He's testing Philip's trust in himself. It's interesting to note as well that Jesus already knew what he was going to do in response to the need of feeding the multitude. And we can be confident that Jesus knows what he's going to do with our needs as well. Whether that's in your personal life or whether it's with the needs of our church. Jesus was testing his disciples that day just as Jesus tests us. And I think Jesus wants to see just how much we really trust God with our wealth, with our finances, our money, to test how much we really believe God will meet our needs. Notice Philip's response to Jesus' testing, to his Jesus' question here in verse 7. Philip answered Jesus, 200 denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them, that every one of them may have a little. You see, Philip's mind was operating like a cash register at this point. He is quickly calculating in his own mind, 200 denarii is not enough to feed 5,000 people, Jesus. It just doesn't add up here. The first thing he thought when it came to the problem was not what Jesus could do, but how much it would cost to feed over 5,000 people. Now, to be blunt with you, this is rather sad. You say, well, why is that? Well, because Philip has been following Jesus for some time now. He has personally walked with Christ. He has personally seen Jesus perform miracle after miracle after miracle. Philip, along with the other disciples, have seen Jesus turn water into wine. They have seen Jesus heal the sick. They have seen Jesus make the lame to walk. And yet, how does Philip respond to this problem? He responded with no sense of purpose of what Jesus could do in this situation. Instead, he looked at what could be done from strictly a human standpoint, a human perspective. And so we would, you know, if Zach is a history teacher, I'm sure Zach would have to give Philip an F on this test. He just flunked Jesus' first test that afternoon. That's Philip. But there's also another disciple that's mentioned in the in this story, and that is Andrew. So what about Andrew? Well, this brings us to the third thing that can cause the problem of demand exceeding supply. And that is if we have no sense of potential in and through Christ. Notice what Andrew says to Jesus in verse 9. He tells Jesus, well, Jesus, you know, there's a lad here who has five barley loaves and two small fish. Now, Andrew is doing great so far. But unfortunately, he continues in verse 9 when he says, but what are they among so many? Philip's answer seems to reflect his embarrassment to bring this pitiful lunch to Jesus Christ. Well, Jesus, here's this little lunch here, but I don't think it's going to do much good, Lord. On that Galilean hillside, listen, Here's two disciples of Christ. You have Philip and Andrew, and both of them become part of the problem instead of the solution because they had no sense of purpose and no sense of potential in what Jesus could do. Jesus was testing them. Jesus was 
hoping they would say something like this, Lord, no food? Oh, that's no problem with you. Listen, we've seen you turn water into wine. We've seen you heal the sick. Surely you can handle a little food supply shortage here. I mean, there's, there's a, a sack lunch here. You can do miracles with that. But instead, neither Philip or Andrew factored Jesus into the economic equation. And without Christ, demand always exceeds supply, and the cry is what? Not enough. Not enough. I wonder how many of us can identify with Philip and Andrew. I wonder how many of us kind of live in their world. Are you looking for human possibilities to solve your problems and even our church's needs. This is often the result when we look at our problems, we look at our needs, we look at our lives, if you will, with no sense of purpose in our stewardship and no sense of potential in the power of Jesus Christ. Think about it with me. Here's a little boy who comes on the scene who has a sack lunch with five loaves of bread and two small fish. This little boy left home that morning with enough food, not just to feed himself, but to feed thousands of people. And yet, all Philip and Andrew could see is enough food to feed one small little boy. Why? Because they failed to factor Jesus into their apparent problem here on that Galilean hillside. Oh, how many of us respond just like they did when facing a need or problem in our lives. It's easy to respond like Philip and Andrew when it comes to funding our church's mission and ministries. Instead of thinking what God can do, we think the need is impossible to meet. In many ways, God is testing us just like he tested Philip and Andrew. Will we factor Jesus into the economic equation, remembering what God has provided in the past and that God can provide again in the future? Or will we simply cry, not enough, and walk away? Because we have no sense of planning, no sense of purpose, no sense of potential in our giving to Jesus Christ. Remember, God has a way of supplying all our needs when we finger Jesus into the economic equation. It's the eternal law of supply and demand, which brings us to the second part of Christ's economic principle. That is, with, with Jesus, supply exceeds the demand, and the cry is more than enough. Now, you've heard the story. Kirk read it for us, but I want you to... To notice it again, what Jesus does here in verses 10 through 12. Look at it with me one more time. It's a phenomenal miracle. Then Jesus said, and he's speaking to his disciples now, make the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, and so the men sat down in number about 5,000. And Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to the disciples and the disciples to those sitting down, and likewise of the fish, as much as they wanted. So when they were filled, he said to his disciples, gather up the fragments that remain, so that nothing is lost. Now, this is one of the more spectacular miracles in all the Gospels that's recorded for us. 
It's a simple miracle, but it is a powerful and profound. Jesus took the bread and the fish. He gives thanks to his Father and then multiplied it so over 5,000 people could eat. In fact, scholars estimate there could have been anywhere on that hillside between 15 to 20,000 people when you factor in the children and women. Amazing. After everyone ate, there were still 12 baskets of food left over. And what do you think their cry is then? More than enough. Now the question we all want to know is, how did this miracle take place? What went on here? Well, notice, how did the supply exceed demand of feeding the multitude? It began when a little boy was willing to give his lunch to Jesus Christ. It's a miracle, so we can't necessarily explain it. It's the supernatural power of God through Jesus Christ here. But we do know how it began. This little boy could have clutched his brown paper bag in his hands, but he willingly gave his lunch to the Lord Jesus. Jesus looked at the prospects of the lunch and saw that it wasn't very much. It was just five loaves of bread and two small fish. But Jesus also saw the potential with this little boy's lunch now that was placed in his hands. Listen to me, there's a phenomenal truth here to grab hold of. It's not the size of our lunch that matters, but whether we are willing to give our lunch and place it into the hands of Jesus Christ. This story teaches us that little is much when God is in it and Jesus possesses it. This little boy gave his lunch to Jesus. He could have given just one loaf of bread, one fish, and maybe kept the rest for himself, but, but he gave it all. And that exchange between this lad and the Lord tapped the very resources of heaven and the power of Jesus Christ. And then, I love this, this little boy, we're not told specifically, but you have to imagine that he stayed around, and what did he see? He saw a phenomenal miracle take place with his lunch. How will supply exceed demand of funding our church's mission and ministries? It begins when I'm willing to give the first fruits of my income to the Lord. Now, this brings us back to the very first stewardship principle that we learn. And that principle is found in Proverbs chapter 3, verses 9 through 10. We learned in that principle in Proverbs there that the purpose of our wealth is to honor God with our wealth. The purpose of our wealth is not to keep it all for ourselves. It's, we are not to be a, a reservoir for our wealth. Rather, we are to be a channel for our wealth. And God blesses us with wealth. Whether some of you have a lot, whether you have very little, the Lord gives us our wealth in order to honor Him with it. And you say, how do we do that? We learned in Proverbs 9 that we honor God with our wealth by giving back to Him the, what is called the first fruits the first portion of our income. And when we honor God in our giving, God promises to bless us and meet our needs. And one of the most amazing parts of this story now, back in John chapter 6, is after everything was eaten, there was more left over than there was to begin with. Explain that. 
Understand something here. Again, this is the economic principles of Jesus. We never give anything to the Lord and lose it. He gives it back to us again and again and again. And so take note of the secret of God's economy. The boy gave to Jesus. The Lord gave to the disciples. The disciples gave to the crowd. And the more they gave, the more there was to give. And the crowd even had the opportunity to give back to the disciples. Twelve baskets left over. The Bible says that the multitude was filled. They were filled in verse 12. In other words, their need was met, praise the Lord. And the same people who earlier in the story were crying out, not enough, what do you think they're crying out now? More than enough. With Christ, supply always exceeds demand, and the cry is more than enough. And then Jesus says something here. He says, gather up the fragments that remain. And there were 12 baskets of food left over. And it all started with a little boy who was willing to give his lunch to the Lord. This is the economic principle of Jesus Christ. Now let me summarize what we've learned here so far with this story with three divine economic principles. The first of which is God delights in using our resources to accomplish his purposes no matter how much or how little we give. Think about this with me. If Jesus can use a little boy's lunch to feed over 5,000 people, don't you think God can use what you give to fund our church's mission and ministries when we place it in his hands? The issue here is never how much or how little your giving is to God. The issue is always in the heart. Are you willing to honor God with your giving and your finances, with the first fruits of your income? I like how someone once put it. It's not what you do with the million dollars if fortune should be your lot, but what you are doing at present with a dollar and quarter you got. The second divine principle we learn is God delights in making up the difference when demand exceeds supply. Did you notice that the little boy's lunch didn't do any good at all until when? Exactly. As long as that lunch remained in the little boy's hand, it did no good. It wasn't until that lunch was placed in the hands of Jesus, and when it was, what a difference it made. In fact, this word distributed in verse 11 is in the imperfect tense, which means Jesus kept distributing the bread, kept distributing the fish until there was more than enough for the multitude to eat. The point is, Jesus took a seemingly insignificant lunch and he used it to make up the difference in the feeding of the multitudes. And God delights in doing the same with my giving and with your giving. So don't you think for a minute here that what you give to the Lord is insignificant. That it doesn't count. It doesn't make a difference in the overall budget of our church. It does. God takes everything that we give to him and he uses it for his supply purposes. And he takes it and he makes up the difference. Number third, the third economic principle is God delights in providing a basket full of leftovers for our needs. 
Remember after Jesus fed this multitude, everyone was satisfied, and there were 12 baskets full of leftovers. Here's the question. Have you ever wondered why 12 baskets? Why were there 12 baskets left over? Why not three? Why not five? Why not seven, nine, eight, whatever? Why 12? We are not told specifically why, but we can surmise that perhaps the reason is because there were how many disciples? 12. I personally believe Jesus is also teaching his disciples something here. Each one of them got a basket full of food. As a lesson, trust me, I will provide for you. I will provide for your needs when you put in your, your lives in my hands, when you honor me, when you trust me. Awesome. It's amazing. In fact, he, Jesus is showing them in advance what Paul would later write in Philippians 4.19. And my God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Jesus Christ. Now, as all stewardship principles, this one as well, it all comes down to one question. And here's the question. Are you willing to trust God with your money? It always comes down to that. Just as the little boy put his lunch in the hands of Jesus, are you willing to put your money in the hands of God? I would also throw out another question for you to think about. Do you think this little boy regretted giving his sack lunch to Jesus? I mean, think about it with me. Just imagine for a moment, here he is, he's in the, he wakes up in the morning, Maybe his mom packs him that little sack lunch. We don't even know if it was a sack lunch. We just know he had a bag full of, he had a lunch. And he took that lunch with him that day, and he had no idea what Jesus was going to do that day with his lunch. But when the opportunity came, he willingly gave it. He put it in the hands of Jesus. He lost his lunch, if you will. He gave it up. He was, in a sense, willing to say, you know what? I'll go hungry. I don't, you know, I ate this morning breakfast. Maybe I'll eat dinner, and I don't need lunch right now. I'm willing to give it to you, Lord. And I wonder, do you think you ever regretted that? No way. Absolutely not. And God promises that you and I will not regret it if we will trust him with our finances. Now, let me end here by just giving you three steps to take. Three steps in which to put all this into practice. Step number one is to begin giving if you haven't already, or if you do, continue to give a portion of your income to God. And perhaps you're thinking, man, I can't do much. I'm just like the little boy with the lunch. It's not enough to make a difference. Remember, Jesus isn't looking for what you can do with your lunch. He's looking for people who are willing to put their lunch in his hands and so give what you can our church is full of people with potential to meet our financial needs all we need for a miracle is a lad a lunch in the lord because little is much when god is in it so let me encourage you the first step to take in 2018 here is begin if you haven't continue if you do give start small if you need to give back Give some of the first fruits of your income back to the Lord and see what God will do. 
Step number two is to ask God to use your giving to make up the difference. Again, if God can use a sack lunch to make up the difference in feeding over 5,000 people, then certainly God can use your giving to make up the difference in funding our budget. Remember, there is no need too big for God to meet, and there is no gift too small for God to use. Step number three is then expect God to meet the needs in your life in our church. Do you realize Philip and Andrew, they almost missed out on a miracle that afternoon in Galilee? Why? Because they never expected Jesus to perform one. They had no sense of purpose in what they could give, and they had no sense of potential in what Jesus could do with their gift. Instead, all it took was the expectation of a little boy with a sack lunch, and they had the privilege of witnessing one of the greatest miracles ever performed by Jesus. So what are you expecting God to do in your life? This year, 2018, what is your expectation for the Lord? What are you expecting God to do in and through your life and even in and through our church here at LifeBridge? What is this story of a lad, a lunch, and the Lord teach us about God's economic principle? It teaches us two phenomenal truths. Without Christ, demand exceeds supply, and the cry is what? Not enough. But with Christ, supply exceeds demand, and the cry is always more than enough. Let's pray. Lord, we come to you and we thank you. Oh, how we thank you for your generosity, for your graciousness to us. And Lord, we thank you for this miracle that is recorded for our benefit. Lord, what a demonstration of what can happen when we put our life, our finances, just even everything about us into your hands. Lord, help us to trust you. Help us to honor you. Help us to believe in what you can do. Lord, maybe there's some of us that are struggling in this area. I pray that you would speak to their hearts even now. And you would open up their eyes to see the joy that there is in honoring you with our wealth and trusting you. We pray these things in your son's name. Amen. Praise team or the instrumentalists are going to play. And as they do, take this time just to go before the Lord and do business with him. Bring your maybe your heart's desire, your confession of sin, whatever the need is. Maybe recommit to him at this time. Just, Lord, I'm going to trust you with giving. I'm going to try it for the first time maybe, or I'm going to recommit to it or continue on. Whatever God is leading you to deal with, use this time in that manner.